0: Hi, welcome to the City View Phoenix podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Politics right now have caused some of the craziest division I've ever seen in our time. As a people, we we disagree on a lot of things, and and that's okay. We're not not supposed to be the same. But things have gotten so worse, way worse than ever. And as a pastor, it's impossible for me not to talk about religion. I mean, that's something I have to talk about when it comes to church and, and, and what I talk about here. But also, it's really easy for me to avoid the topic of politics. I, I like to stay as neutral as I can here and not use this platform and this stage to persuade anybody to go into any direction. One, it's, I, you, you have to be careful with doing that. But two, it's not my place. But when, when the idea of politics and religion intersect with Jesus' heart... As a pastor, I have to. I have to come up and I have to bring and, and, and speak into those topics. And that's sort of where we're at today. Nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. Fear makes us think if, if, the, if, if our president gets reelected, then the world's going to end. There's some people who look and they, and they fear in that way and then other people fear, okay, if 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 the other person gets elected or if another party gets elected, um, then we're going to become a socialist government and the world is going to end. And either way we look, we live in this state of fear of what's going on. but, But what is it really, what is it that we're fearing? We're fearing loss. Fearing loss of control. We're fearing loss of opportunity. We're fearing loss of financial stability. We're fearing loss of of culture and the things that we feel are right and wrong. We're fearing loss of freedom. You see, and that's really what we fear. Fear is being used as such a tool to cause great division. And if we are not careful, that division will feed right into the church. Not just City View, but the big C, the church as a whole. If we're not careful, fear will divide us. You see, I believe that we can disagree politically but still love unconditionally. I believe. I believe that we can disagree politically. It's hard. That's not easy to do. But it's not easy to love some people, is it? But I believe when we follow the the teachings and the way of Jesus, I believe that we can live in a place where we can disagree on politics, but love can oversee and overdo love can be what defeats it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. And God, as we get into this new series, God, I pray that our hearts should be ready, open, and willing to receive what you have for us. God, I ask that you'd speak into our lives. Lord, I know that so many churches across the valley, across the U.S. today, are starting series as my, my social media feed is filled with different political series, Lord, this season. Because I know we want we want, we so want to fight against division. And Lord, if the church can stand united, God, you could do so much. So Lord, today I ask that you'd speak to us, Lord, speak to your people all over the valley at Mountain Ridge Church and CCV and Calvary Community and um, Desert City, Lord. And God, I ask that you'd speak to us at City View in Jesus' name, amen. You see, when Jesus lived here on earth, well, good morning. My name is Jeremiah. If this is your first time, welcome. It's nice to have you here at City View. And is it really dark out here? It's dark, isn't it? We're trying to figure that out. So be patient as we figure out this place. But you guys look extra dark <laughs> in the dark today. Whatever. Um, but good morning. Um, you see, when Jesus lived here on Earth, he he didn't choose a political party to follow. You see, we're it's almost like today we have to like choose. What political party we're going to be with. We're going to be with this one or this one. Like that sort of defines who you are, what kind of person you're going to be, what kind of kids you're going to raise, and all that stuff. We really look into life as, it's, as if it's part of your major DNA. It's not. But we're, we're almost, you preach it at school, you go to colleges, and it's like, it, it infiltrates every bit of your being. Like that's who you have to be. But that's so not what Jesus did. You see, they tried to corner Jesus in defining which side he stood on all throughout his ministry. And here's where Jesus stood when it came to his ministry and his heart and his politics. Here's where Jesus stood. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Jesus said, I'm going to do everything with justice. I'm going to live justly, I'm going to love kindly, and I'm going to walk humbly. That's how I'm going to live my life. That's how I'm going to decide everything I do, by justice, by humility, and by kindness. That's what I'm going to do. And you look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and that's what Jesus, that's the life he lived, and that's the ideal of, of what we're supposed to do. You see, Jesus, when he lives this life, it blurs lines. We live in a time where everybody, and I know there's other parties, but do people really only talk about two of them, don't they? Are you red or are you blue? You, they look at your state and they're like, we want to turn our state red. We want to turn that state blue. We, want, we need more red here. We need more blue here. And th- that's what it's come. But you see, Jesus, when you look at Jesus and what defined Jesus, the color purple defined Jesus. You're like, well, that's so convenient because red and blue make purple. But you might say, How does purple define Jesus? Well, you look at Mark chapter, I think it's Mark chapter 15, and they put a robe on Jesus. Do you remember this? Right before he dies, they put a robe on Jesus, mocking him as king. But do you remember what color that robe was? It was purple. You see, purple all throughout scripture symbolized royalty, symbolized a king, symbolized something that set somebody apart different than everybody else. You see, Jesus. That's who he is. He's one that blurs those lines. He doesn't want to define, you you are either this or this. He's like, you're with me. That's where you are. And that's where Jesus wants us to stand. See, are we willing to follow Jesus even when doing so creates space between our political preference and our candidate? Are we willing to follow Jesus? And I know some of you are like, where do you stand, Jeremiah? I'm standing right here on the word of God. That's where I stand. That's where I stand. That's what guides my votes. That's what guides my heart. This guides my heart. Not somebody's speech. Not somebody's way of how they can debate. I I took debate class. And it's really, it's not the smartest. It's the strongest person who just is the biggest jerk, usually wins a debate. I watched plenty of debates, and I was never a big enough jerk to win a debate. So I was a person who could bully their way into winning debate. Or have the best lie. It's never the best truth. See, Jesus, he's our perfect example. And Jesus, he knew there was going to be so much that we were going to battle as people. So what can we learn from Jesus? What was Jesus' heart for us? In John chapter chapter 17, we get a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life. On what Jesus' prayer requests look like? Can you imagine, like, if Jesus, you know, have you ever been? In, maybe some of you are new to the whole church thing, and well, there there are some there are circles where you can get in, and there's some ladies, there are some people and ladies in the back that, if you have any prayer requests, they'll come to you, and and so usually when we come with our prayer requests, usually it's about, well, I've got an uncle who's sick, or I, you know, I've got this. That's I, I you know, we, we've got. Usually it revolves around sickness, and I remember one pastor said, I. I get that we pray for sick people, but here's the reality. They're either going to go to heaven or hell. So why are we praying that people get better when we should be praying for the souls that need to be saved? I was like, dang, you're mean. And he was telling me how he did this in a prayer meeting that he was leading. He goes, everybody's prayer request is about sickness. He goes, but are those people believers? Yeah? Well, why do you care? I know you love them, but if they die, where are they going? Somewhere better than here. Are those people believers? No? Then why are you praying they get better? You need to pray and their soul gets better because that's way better. And so we get a little glimpse into Jesus' prayer life and what Jesus' prayer request would look like. Have you ever thought what Jesus' prayer request might look like for you and I and for the world? Well, Jesus, he, he gives us that. And it starts here in John chapter 17, verse 1. And it says, if you have your Bibles, turned there. If you don't, they're on the screen. If you have the Version Bible app on your phone, you can go to CityView PHX, CityView Church, um, and you'll, you'll find it right there. It should be somewhere. If you have your location settings on, you'll be able to follow all my notes and all the verses right there. And Jesus says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. What I love is Jesus says, Father, glorify your son. We stand on the other side of that glory. We stand on the other side of what Jesus is praying for. You see, when Jesus says glorify your son, we know what he's talking about. Some of you are like, what's he talking about? Jesus, when he says glorify your son, he's talking about the betrayal that's about to happen. He's talking about the crucifixion that's about to happen. He's talking about the death that he's going to do, that he's going to die on the cross. When he says, glorify yourself, what he's talking about is, God, be glorified in the life that I'm about to give. Glorify in the death that I'm about to do on the cross. Glorify in the resurrection that's about to happen. You see, God looks forward to this moment. God is looking forward to this moment of Jesus dying on the cross when everybody else would be turning their backs. God's looking forward. Jesus says, God, the hour has come. People all throughout the book of John, it talks about the hour. Jesus says, it's not yet my hour. My time has not yet come. But here in John chapter 17, Jesus says, the hour has come. For him to die. You see, everybody thought the hour had come for him to be risen up as king, to be the king, to get rid of Rome. And somebody else, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for this king that is going to come and lead our nation and do that. But the thing is, that king already came. And that king lives in you and is empowering you to take his kingdom everywhere. Not a president, not a senator or a congressman or woman, none of those. He is looking for his people. God wants his people to live like him in the nation That is broken. And I think if the church actually did and lived like God wanted us to live, so many of the problems that we vote for, that we're trying to solve, would be solved not by a politician, but by you loving your neighbor, which I'm getting into next week. So, sorry, it's a little side. You see, it's in this hour that Jesus talked about that the world will forever live in the aftermath of God's great glory. And Jesus continues to pray. And Jesus says, I am no longer in the world. He says, God, I'm getting ready to leave. But they, meaning his disciples, they themselves are in the world. I'm in verse 11. And Jesus says, and I come to you. Holy Father, this is Jesus' prayer. God, will you keep them? Will you protect them in your name? The name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. Here we see Jesus prayer for his men. He says, "God, I'm leaving, but will you protect them?" Protect them from what? I mean, some of you maybe you don't know what the disciples are about to re- they're about to go through. They're going to go through persecution. They're going to go through being mocked. They're going to go through being imprisoned. Some of them get their heads cut off. Some of them get cut with a sword. Some of them get hung on a cross upside down. Some of them get dipped into hot boiling oil, and then they don't die from that, and then they get banished to an island by themselves. I mean, they get, some of you are like, an island all by myself. That was a punishment back then? Can that be today? Mm. You see, those things were bad that they were going to, but that's not what Jesus is praying they would be protected from. You see, I wonder if if too many of us are praying to be safe from things that God doesn't want us to be safe from. But what does Jesus pray that his disciples would be protected from? Do you see it? Do you see what he prays for? He says, Father, protect them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. This was Jesus' one prayer request for them. Unity. Protection from division. Protection from division. That's what Jesus, as he looked to the future, and what was going to come after his disciples. He knew, okay, they're going to be beat up. He knew that they were going to be attacked. He knew they were all going to die of some way. He knew all that was going to happen. He didn't say, okay, God, please give them an easy life. Please, God, let them, when they die, let them just die of old age and just fall asleep one day. No, he doesn't care about any of that. He says, God, protect them from division. God, let them be one as we are one. God, please protect them. And then Jesus, he continues his prayer. And, and look at what else Jesus prays. Verse 20, he says, But I do not ask on, on behalf of these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. The New Living reads, verse 20, like this, I am praying not only for these disciples, but, for, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus' prayer was not limited to those men around him in that moment, but for all who will believe. That means for you, for me. Jesus prayed for those things. Jesus' prayer was for us. And what does Jesus pray? I'm sure it wasn't what you and I pray for ourselves. Because I think we pray too many times for safety. I know I do. I pray for my kids, and I pray that God would keep them safe. And I've been trying to change that prayer. Because I would rather my kids be reckless. Not necessarily just on their bikes and skateboards and those things, but, but live a life that takes, takes risks. I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was asking him why he never went and planted a church. Because I'm like, God had a call in your life. Why didn't you? And he said, to be honest, I was too scared. missing out on things because we're too scared. And not, not everybody's called to plant a church. But if you feel that call in your life, that God is calling you to go do something like that, please talk to me. Because we are a church planting church. We are a church plant, and we want to send out more church plants. I want to see this valley come to know Jesus. That's our heart. We want to reach the valley for Christ, and it's never, ever going to be done by one church. It is going to be done by the capital C, the big church, and people going out and planting churches. That's how it's going to happen. But so Jesus, he prays for this group of people, and he prays, but God, I I do not ask on their behalf, but God, I, I ask on those who will believe because of this message. And Jesus says, verse 21, that they. This is the beginning of his prayer for them. That they. Now, who was the they in the first century church? Who was the they? That they were Jews and Gentiles. That they were rich and poor. That they were slaves and free. That they were soldiers and tax collectors. That they were the educated and the homeless. The they were the refugees, that's the they, and Jesus prays that they. What 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 is are they look like? Are they is, looks a little different? Are they maybe it's the, it's the Democrats and the Republicans and the Libertarians and the, everybody else? Are they as the is the black brown red yellow and white? Are they as the rich and the poor and the middle class and the single and the married? That's that's are they and are they continue can be divided can continue to be. Just describe their they, and Jesus says, that they. Well, what does he pray? That they may all be one. That was Jesus' prayer for you. That you would be one. Not that you would be red or blue, not that you would be rich or poor. But that you, as believers in Jesus Christ, would be one. And I wonder how much of it breaks him when he sees us so divided. Over a temporary fix that only lasts four to eight years. Jesus says, God, I pray that they would be one. To read that verse, verse twenty-one. That they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That also, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. This is this is a huge ask of Jesus. That they would be one—a huge ask. there's been there's books I read, books about leadership. There's a book. Um, it's it's by uh, what's his name now? Um. He was a pastor, but I believe he got it actually from Good to Great or Bigger, or I can't remember what it's called right now, but it's it's this phrase called having a b-hag. Do any of you know what a B HAG is? Who knows what a B Hag is? Raise your hand. So most of you don't. Here's a B hag. A b-hag is a big, hairy, audacious goal. That's a B hag. If you don't know that, memorize that term, because we need those. I remember we were at a, uh, a marriage retreat, and I think you guys had some crazy b You want to get an RV and, like, travel the United States when you retire. Like, that's a B-hag. I look at that going, man, that's going to, I mean, I don't want to just travel in an RV. When I picture an RV, I picture, like, fancy RV. <laughs> I don't want to be worried it's going to break down. I want to know, like, it's going to get me from 8.8 to point Z and back. But see, Jesus had this big, hairy, audacious goal. He had this B-hack. God, may our people, may they be one. May they be one. God, that's all I want. Don't keep them safe. God, let them die fighting for what's right. God, let them be persecuted. God, all that's fine. But God, let them be one. Don't let them be divided. This is Jesus. This is prayer for you. It's for me. That we would be one, just like He is one with His Father. But why? You see, many of us we don't want to just know the what. How many of you hate knowing the what? And you don't want, you don't like not when you don't know the why. How many of you? Maybe you. For those of you who are kids, your parent, you go ask your parents. Can I do this? And your parents say no, and then you go, why? How many of you hate not knowing the why? Anybody hate not knowing the why when you're going to do something when you're going to whatever it might be. You want to know the why. Well, Jesus doesn't leave us like, God, I pray that they would be one, period. He doesn't leave it there. He tells us the why. Is it so that we will all be friends and both the same? No. Is it so that we can all have the same mind to be the same kind of people? No. Did you catch Jesus' why in verse 21? Did you catch it? So that the world may believe You sent me so the world may believe that's Jesus' why so the world might believe but what does the world think of us have you ever been embarrassed of other Christians how do they get the crazy ones to always interview on the news have you ever wondered where they come from Have you ever, you watch the news and you're like, how did you find that guy? How'd you you get that lady? How'd you get that person? They're they're nothing like everybody else. But are they? I mean, are they really that different? Or are they just more vocal of what your heart says? You see, I I, I watch social media and I, I watch how some people, it's like you purposefully troll other people. Your social media, what you post, is purposefully to poke at a hornet's nest. I don't know if you watch America's Funniest Home Videos. We like to watch those as a family. They're just funny and you laugh. But watching those guys who purposefully poke at a, a, a wasp nest, I don't know if you guys, maybe you watch The Office. If you do, fine. If you don't and you judge me, fine. You can judge me. There's an episode where... I believe it was Andy. No, it was not. It was Andy. It was like a worker. It was a warehouse guy. And he was told to get rid of a hornet's nest. And he was given like a hockey stick and a racket and other terrible ideas. Some of you are like that on your social media. I, I'm not you, you think you're gonna persuade somebody. You think you're going to sell somebody to swing all of a sudden from one side to another by your post. You're not ever going to change somebody's mind. You're just not. But you want to know how you can change their mind? Jesus tells us. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Because you've got to realize, the world watches Christians. They watch us. Because aren't they so quick when you do one thing that's not right, aren't they so quick to say, oh, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were supposed to be different than everybody else, but you seem to be the same. They're watching. Here's what Jesus says. He says, a new commandment, not an idea, not a suggestion. Jesus is like, hey, mm, I've got a suggestion for all my followers. He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Not whether you vote one color or another, not what you post. Well, what you post, they're going to know. They're going to know something, aren't they? Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have, read it with me, love for one another. This wasn't a suggestion. Not a good idea. It was a command. Remember, it's, it's not about you. It's about the mission that Jesus has for each and every one of us. That all men would know. That's Jesus' heart. That all men, that all women, that all kids, that the whole world would know that Jesus came to save the world. That's his heart. And so many of us, we're getting stuck in the mud and the devil loves it. He loves to know that we're arguing about a president. He loves to know that. Now, I'm all about voting. One, go vote. If you can vote, go and vote. But vote on uh, what the Bible, how the Bible has broken your heart. Vote on the convictions of God and of Jesus. And I'm not going to go off on any other political things, but I'm 100% for voting. But when it causes division, you've gotten distracted. You see, the heart of Jesus is that. That love would be the defining factor of his people. And I don't think it's too late to change that. In a world that is so easily divided, let us us lead with unity, driven by love. In a world that is so easily divided, let us lead with unity. Imagine if the world saw a church that was unified. Imagine if the world saw a church, and I know, I know so many people, one of our defining factors is, is the, the unborn child. And I 100% agree. But do you know how many kids are stuck in our foster care system? Did you know that as soon as churches and schools were open, the report rate of child abuse skyrocketed? So I agree, yes, we, we vote according to will somebody save a child's life? No, it's not their responsibility. But imagine if as a church that we proclaim that. But you see, so many times what happens is when, when maybe an, 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 a mom who maybe you find that's unfit to be a mom, or maybe a mom who's got pregnant and she didn't want to, and the reason why she's thinking about that abortion is because she knows the moment she tells her parents that she's pregnant, they will shame her. Imagine if love was our first response. So people didn't have to fear if they knew that, well, there was a place, if they knew that the kids weren't going to be stuck in some home that maybe is more dangerous than them, but there were homes that were full of love and grace and Jesus. You see, in a world that is so easily divided, let us lead with unity driven by love. And look, let's look at Jesus' prayer as he continues. He's, it, let's, at verse 22 of, of John chapter 17, he says, "The glory which you have given me, I have given to them." Again, look at what Jesus says, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in unity, so the world may know that you sent me and loved them." Even as you have loved me. Jesus' prayer that they, that we would be perfect or complete in unity. That we may be complete in our unity, led by love, unified in Christ. You see, Jesus has big dreams for his church, for his people. I think Jesus believes more in us than we do in ourselves. I think Jesus sees more in the hope that we have than we realize we can take. I think there is something in us that Jesus sees that we just can't crack. You see, we are distracted with making earth more home than Jesus ever intended it to be. You see, earth is meant to be like a hotel room. That you're never, unless you're living that sweet life of whatever that TV show is called. But picture a hotel room that, I mean, it's not like the Arizona Billmore or the Grand Wailea. It's like Motel 6. Sometimes it gets upgraded and you get a new flat screen TV, but you always live a little scared that somebody might break in. That's Earth. Jesus never meant it to be this plush place that you can be perfectly comfortable and stay here forever. No, it was always meant to be a little uncomfortable. Always. But I think too many of us have tried to make this the most comfortable place. No, Jesus meant it to, to be a stopping point between here and eternity. That's what earth is. You see... Jesus is telling us the reason, the why, and the purpose. Did you catch it again? Did you catch Jesus' why? He repeats it in verse 22 and 23 again. Did you catch it? He says, so that the world may know. You see, that's Jesus' heart. That we would be unified and in our unity and in our love for one another. That the world might know him. But you see, I think when the world looks in at the church sometimes, now I'm, I, I'm biased. I think you guys are amazing. I think some of us, we need to chill a little bit, but I think for the most part, the world's amazing, where we, you guys are. But I think we could always be better. I don't want to ever get to a place where I think I'm Okay. I want to always get better and better and better, better at my craft of speaking, better at my loving of people, better at my being unified. And, and it's hard. One of, my, one of my very best friends politically, we are so different. And I didn't get him. And I remember younger, I just was like, dude, don't you care about kids and unborn babies? And he's like, yes, I do. And I know he does. But where we stand, and, how, and, I, and I don't have to understand, But I had to work through that, and it's tough. But Jesus' heart is so that the world may know. And when Jesus rose from the dead, the church was launched, it was catapulted with one purpose. God gave the church one purpose, and what was that one purpose? To make disciples. That was the one purpose. That was the one goal. Jesus says, go and make disciples. When you become a believer, when you follow Jesus with your life, it is to make disciples. That is our heart. That is the goal. That is the purpose of the church, to make disciples. To share the hope that you have with all those around you. We were given one message. One message, it's not a political message, it was a change your heart message. And that message was that Jesus is the savior of the world, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords, he is the prince of peace, he died for our sins so that we might be forgiven and set free. That's the one message. And he has one command. What was that one command that Jesus gave us? Love one another. We have one purpose, one mission. One purpose to make disciples. One mission. One message, I mean. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. One command, love one another. Things will change. We will have an election soon. We will. Whether we want to or not, it's going to come. November is going to come. And America will vote. And somebody will be president. But the church... Here's what I want you to remember. The church will win or lose not based on how we vote. The church will win or lose based on how we behave between now and then and after. You see, we all speak on behalf of the church, the big C. We're all part of it together. The church will win or lose based on how we behave between now and then and after. So we must guard against anything that could divide. We must guard against anyone who will try to divide us. You know, if you look, God used a small group of men and women to change the world. A small group. In the room, when Jesus came back, and his Holy Spirit filled the room, there were 120 people in that room that changed the world. One man, Peter, preached one message, and over 3,000 people came to know Jesus. One man. One small group. Imagine what God could do with a room like this if we surrendered to unity and love. Imagine. Can you imagine with me what God could do? I love to imagine things. I love to think how things could get better. Can you imagine with me what this world would look like if just a room like this focused on unity and love? You see, it was Jesus who created justice, fairness, and dignity. Not a political stance. Not a government. It it wasn't a government thing. It wasn't a president. Jesus created justice. Jesus created fairness. Jesus created dignity. We put so much faith in a political system that has changed many times over the years, hasn't it? We've seen over 45 different presidents. Well, some were reelected and all that. There have been 10 different, over 10 different political parties. Aren't you lucky we no longer have the Whig Party? Or the bull moose party. So you're like, what are those? Do your research. We currently have five different parties right now, I believe, if I did my research correctly. We have a red one, a blue one, a green one, and then we have a couple other colors. I don't remember what they are, though, because I don't even see them on anything. Laws have changed, people have changed, rulers have changed. But you want to know what stayed the same? God has never changed. He is still the king of kings, and he's still sitting on the throne. November 3rd is going to come, and guess what? His throne will not be shaken. It will not be moved. It will stand strong, and he will still be on it. Psalm, 46, or Psalm 45, verse 6 says, your throne, O God, is forever. Psalm 103, verse 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in heavens. We do not have to worry or fear after that day. We don't have to worry about that. God will still be on his throne, and his throne will still be a good and safe place, and it will stand forever. Nobody can take him from it. After that election on November 3rd, God's not going to go, oh, dang, I don't know what to do next. God's not going to go, oh, the United States is going down the drain. He already knew that was going to happen. The United States is not God's saving grace. Jesus was. We all think it's the United States, that we're the saviors of the world. No, Jesus already did that. And if we're really going to look and think, I think the U.S. has some of the weakest Christians. We're some of the laziest, most comfortable. You go to India, some of these other countries, where they're persecuted every day, their faith, I've been there. I mean, their faith just to eat some of the food. I'm just like, wow, your faith is so strong. Their faith is amazing. You see, we are to love. We are to live in unity. As we live in this tension. Because there's going to be tension, isn't there? I'm sure some of you are experiencing in your families. On my street, I've got one neighbor, they've got a Biden flag. Another neighbor, they've got a Trump flag. And I'm just going, oh, I wonder if they're friends. I don't know. There are a few, quite a few houses down. But you see, let us pray for one. Let us look for opportunities to love unconditionally someone who disagrees with us politically. You see, a first century rabbi, from nowhere, he was in the middle of a hot desert with 12 raggedy young men. He says, guys, I've got a crazy dream. I've got a promise I'm going to make you. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I say to you, I will build my church. And no political party or nothing. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell and Hades will never overpower. Never overpower it. Nothing will stop Jesus from doing what he wants to do through his church. Nothing. Remember, the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope. The church has the hope of the gospel. Not some, not some nonprofit. And I know we love nonprofits, but nonprofits, some of us, we serve so much with nonprofits, they're never going to change the world. God says the hope of the world is in the church and nothing is going to stop it. Jesus said it, and Jesus meant it, and we get to live in it, this promise. It's crazy that we are living in this promise today, that this church was not killed, was not destroyed. So let us disagree politically. It's okay that somebody might think different. And I know it's hard for some of us to understand how one side thinks over another. I get it. But let us love unconditionally and let us pray with unity. Most importantly, do not miss next week of talking points. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite people as we continue to walk in this tension of politics now. See, one way that we can celebrate unity And diversity is by serving together. You're like, oh, Jeremiah, this is another ploy. No, Jesus' example was his 12 disciples. And what did they do? Did they go and serve all the undeserved donkeys of his time? No. Did they go and volunteer at random things? No. What, What did they do? They went wherever he went, and they loved the people, and they served together and who were the disciples you had a terrorist you got ahead a guy who was a zealot simon the zealot that means he was a terrorist that means he he did things that we wouldn't probably not do simon you had these political guys that were more in the political realm you had guys that were that were worked for the government You had guys who were fishermen and contractors and all these things. You had all these guys who worked in all these ways. But how did they find unity? How were they able to do things together? They served the Lord together. So I want to invite you. If you call City View home, join a team. Because there's no better way to see unity happen than when we serve together. How can you do this? You go sign up on the you can sign up on the app, or the website, you can go in the back here to our Connect Center. But don't miss it. So let us disagree politically, love unconditionally, and pray for unity. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. God, I ask, Lord, that you would protect us from division. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to be unified. Unified in you. The one one mission, Lord. One purpose. That your kingdom of disciples would remain. One message. That you're the savior of the world. One command. One command. That we would love one another. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out our website at cityviewphx.com or download the CityView app on the App Store.